Welcome to the United Church Podcast. We're a new church here in Seattle committed to an ethic of love and walking in the ways of Jesus. We're striving to be a people united, united with Jesus, each other, ourselves, and the world around us. We hope you're encouraged and challenged by this week's homily. May the peace of Christ be with you. feel like I'm asking that question more and more lately, and, and not as a greeting, but as a desire to truly know. How are you doing? And, and sure, in, in this space, it's, it's not like I can hear your answer, right? But, but you can. You can listen intently for a moment and, and answer that question. How are you doing? There's a lot going on right now. Depression rates have tripled since the start of this pandemic. 25% of young adults have contemplated suicide in the past six months. Anxiety is swirling at an unbelievable pace, especially as we get closer and closer to election day and, and whatever will happen afterwards. The deep divisions that are being exposed in our society among friends and among family, among, among co-workers, relationships are being destroyed. I, I keep hearing more and more phrases like, I can't believe I was ever friends with a person that could believe that about black people. I, I didn't even know they believed that or, or thought like that. How could they deny Brianna Taylor's life mattered? How could they say what they're saying about her or Jacob Blake? All from family, friends whom we've since broken up with. Masks are being pulled off and our reality is being turned upside down. So how are you doing? Can we take a minute and actually answer that question? Can you sit with me here for a moment? Sink low into your seat and feel the weight of your body sinking, grounding yourself and taking a deep breath. And if you need a point of connection, of comfort, of just knowing someone is with you, feel free to just look into my eyes. How are you doing? If you would, take a moment and pull up unitedchurch.live on your phone. Go to the check-in button and answer that question that we've put in that form. And put, it, put your answer to that question in that space and let me know. Because, because while we may not be able to have the conversation right now in this moment, we can still begin the conversation. I'm not too busy for you. How are you doing? I've... I've had a lot of difficult conversations this week, all in the wake of the grand jury's decision to do nothing about the murder of Breonna Taylor, all filled with pain 
a never-ending cycle of trauma revisited over and over again as word came out that only one officer was being charged and only for wanton endangerment of the neighbors, the white neighbors, for shooting through the drywall of the white neighbor's apartment, but not the black neighbors. My friend sighed heavily and said to me, because we can't be owned anymore, we're no longer as valuable as property. We're the wretched of the earth. And what's worse, my white brothers and sisters deny this pain even exists. They deny my lived experience and tell me I'm crazy. I'm not even seen anymore except as a threat. On Friday, Hannah introduced us to the term amputation of sight in her meditation. This idea that we've gouged out our eyes, that because of all of the pain and trauma that surrounds us, that overwhelms us, it creates and causes so much anxiety and fear, we stop seeing. It's almost like we filled up our quota and then we get to work and ignoring it all shoving ourselves into an isolation of our own making, an isolation we don't even know we occupy, lashing out at anyone who asks us to see. We ate from the knowledge of good and evil and then clenched our eyes shut so that we couldn't see the difference. When Jesus said that he had come to restore sight to the blind, I have to wonder if this isn't part of what he meant. To see the pain and trauma of economic imbalance, of oppression and injustice, and the prison industrial complex. That we might see the differences between good and evil. In 2011, at 31 years of age, I finally summoned up enough courage to preach my very first sermon about racism and white supremacy in the church. There's no racism in the church. What are you talking about? This is ridiculous. We live in a post-racial society now. Obama's the president. It's a new century. Racism is dead. The backlash was quick. And you'd think that I was preaching in the Midwest or something, but no. This was in San Francisco. The pushback was severe. Which, just an aside, if you've seen the show Woke on Hulu, it kind of makes the point about San Francisco for me. Anyways, the very next year in 2012, Trayvon Martin was stalked and murdered by George Zimmerman. And my eyes were opened for the first time to the racism in the criminal justice system. That it took nearly 60 days for Zimmerman to be arrested, a year and a half later to be found not guilty, and days for me to see the racism explode once again in the church of victim shaming a 17-year-old boy, calling him a thug, a criminal, for walking home with a bottle of tea and a bag of Skittles. I'll never forget the day that I ran into an older gentleman whom I loved and respected. It was, it was a few days before Halloween, a nice brisk breeze and, and me with no hair. It was a bit chilly, 
So I pulled the hood over my chilly and sensitive little head. He looked at me and snickered and said, who are you supposed to be? Trayvon? We cannot see what we choose not to see. And in this moment, Brianna feels so similar to me. The echo of recent history ringing loudly as a gong. And while justice has once again been denied, who we fail to see in this moment are the black, brown, indigenous, the people of color in our midst who are in deep, deep pain at this very moment. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, Jesus said, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This was Jesus' first sermon. It actually didn't go over very well. But it launched a movement of people out of their isolation and into deep, transformative community. In fact, in Acts chapter 3, where we pick up our journey through the book of Acts, we, we find Peter and John heading to the temple for midday prayer, the thing that they would do every day. And as they approached the temple gate, which, by the way, was called beautiful, Hold on to that for a moment. As they approached the gate beautiful, they encountered a man. Let's call him Jamal. Laying there in front of the gate, unable to walk, begging for money. Now, Jamal, being lame, unable to walk, would have been perpetually victim-shamed. Constantly told that it was his own fault that he couldn't walk, for some sin that he had committed, for some evil or ill that was inherent in his very being from generations past. He would have been an outcast of society, viewed as a perpetual leech on his community, sitting outside of the gate of the temple as the religious walked by him every single day, blind to his presence. Jamal knew economic imbalance. Jamal knew the systemic jail cell he was inhabiting. Jamal knew what it was to not be seen. Jamal knew oppression. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And here, Peter and John, as throngs of the religious file by for midday prayer, Peter and John stop. Look at us, Peter said. Look at us. Recovery of sight for the blind whose sight had been restored. It wasn't Jamal's. It was the disciples. It was Peter and John's sight which had been restored, 
transformed by their time and presence with Jesus. As all of the religious filed by without notice, Peter and John saw Jamal. They saw his pain. They saw his suffering. They saw his trauma. And they stopped. Silver or gold I do not have, Peter said. But what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the hand and helping him up. Instantly, Jamal's feet and ankles became strong and the power of God moved through his body as he jumped to his feet and began to walk. Everything in that moment changed for Jamal because the disciples chose to see, to really see, and act. This was the first time Jamal was truly seen by the religious. Jamal, for the first time in his life of his own power, walked through the gate called Beautiful. And can, can we sit in that image for a moment? Can you see his joy? As the words of Jesus in Luke 4 are fulfilled in this moment, can you see his joy? He walked and jumped and praised God through a gate called beautiful. This is what happens when we see, when we take notice of the pain and the trauma of others, when we honor their presence and see them for who they are and do something with our power and privilege to fight for and to fight for change and the things that cause their pain. And as Jamal strutted into the temple courts, the religious noticed him. The religious saw him. The religious' eyes were opened by his joy and they were filled with wonder and amazement. When justice comes, everyone pays attention. And they see you too. Everyone came running to the disciples. Because here's the thing. True disciples are being watched. They do things. They act on things. They cause a ruckus and upset the systems and structures of oppression and injustice around them. They don't sit idly by with eyes clenched, ignoring the evil around them. You see, you, my brothers and sisters, you, the people of United, you are being watched right now. I don't know if you know this or not, but you are being watched. This thing called Facebook has become the new temple courts, the place where everyone seems to congregate and gather, to express their opinions and shout with bullhorns at one another. And you, the ambassadors of Christ, are being watched. People are looking to see what you say or don't say. To see what you stand up for and what you let wiggle away. To see if you're a disciple of Jesus who proclaims good news to the poor, who proclaims freedom for the prisoner, who helps the blind see, sets the oppressed free. Those who act, or if you're just like those who proclaim Christ, 
but deny him with their words and lifestyle. To use you as more ammunition for why this Jesus thing is a farce. Recently, I've heard this refrain said as I've started to amplify my voice. I didn't know Christians cared about racial injustice or climate change or voting rights or economic injustice. Perhaps it's because I'm a pastor and it's, it's hard to wiggle away from that identity online, but it's possible for you too to be bold in your stance as a follower of Jesus, as you proclaim good news to the poor and stand against injustice. We must be as bold in our followership of Jesus as we are in our stands against injustice. We have to proclaim and demonstrate the Jesus of Luke 4 to a watching world. And we have to do that together as a community, as a people. I, I love this church. I love what we're creating together. And I know it's hard right now. It's, it's hard to feel as if we're a part of something bigger than ourselves in this season of isolation. But we can break free. We can step out with fresh eyes and act. We can move away from the isolation and begin moving together into a stronger, more intentional community by seeing, by acting, by making a difference in this world through the power and presence of Jesus. We can step through the gate called beautiful and together powerfully demonstrate and proclaim the good news of Jesus so that all may see the joy of restoration and reconciliation. On Friday afternoon, I participated as a peacekeeper for a climate change rally led by teenagers in Bellevue. I donned my clerical collar, seriously one of the most uncomfortable things to wrap around your neck, and I stepped into that space with them. One of the older women that I was with stopped me and said, thank you so much for being here. She was a little perplexed, but she said, I didn't realize pastors cared about climate change. A few moments later, as we were preparing to set out, she stopped me again and said, can I look into your eyes for a moment to help ground me? Sure. She looked at me intently and said, can I tell you that I'm really, really scared? I asked if I could put my hand on her shoulder and said, it's okay to be scared right now. We breathed together, and in that moment, together I believe we felt the presence of Jesus, and my clenched eyes were opened once again. Recovery of sight for the blind. Together we walked through the streets of Bellevue proclaiming the words of Jesus in spirit. Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We proclaimed this as we walked with our feet. We proclaimed this through our actions. And the Spirit of the Lord was with us 
as we moved through the streets. Jesus is with you, my friends. Jesus is with you. Proclaim the goodness of Jesus to those you are around. Proclaim the justice that Jesus desires and wants to see made manifest in this world. Proclaim the reconciliation and restoration and act. Make the change happen through the Spirit of Christ resting on your shoulders, moving out before you as together we move from isolation to community and change the world. Thank you for listening to this week's homily. If you're in Seattle, we'd love for you to join us at 1316 Third Avenue West in Queen Anne. If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit unitedchurch.gives to partner with us financially. Be in peace and God bless.